Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another instalment of History Hack. Alina, who have we got on today? We have two lovely ladies joining us today by the name of Gemma and Emily, who run their own blog and podcast, Sagas of Sheep, which is dedicated to bringing women that have been left in the footnotes of others into the light. They post blogs weekly and try to put out about three podcasts a month. So hi guys, how are you doing? We're good. So girls, you're basically here to tell us about five of your favourite badass women in history uh the first one's well known but other than that they've basically been run out of public memory and this annoys you oh it's like to talk about the ladies we do we love a little bit of um women power on our podcast um but yeah guys listen let's get into it um let's start with the first person on your list and let's throw it out there is it Boudicca or Boudicca go for it so we think it's Boudicca and we think that Bodicea has kind of come in later as a mistranslation. So it's a later mistranslation of her name. But obviously what we do know about her is written down by Romans, so we could still be wrong. That's fair enough. Talk to us about it's her. It's her in horrible histories. It's true. Oh yeah, that is true. God, you know what? It's been such a long time since I've watched horrible histories. <laughs> Got me through my history degree. <laughs> That and Red Bull. <laughs> Lots of Red Bull, yeah. I um, it's, it's, it's quite a laughing matter on this uh, podcast that I passed my archaeology degree by watching Mary Beard's Pompeii. I mean, I don't blame you on that. I'm still sometimes where I ha- like, wonder how I managed to pass mine, because I did archaeology, when most of the time we were turning up to our 9am lecture still drunk. <laughs> I've got to tell you right now, archaeologists, no offence, archaeologists, I love you all. And I've got some really good friends that are archaeologists. You're all a bunch of drunks. That's all you do. All you do is drink on excavation sites. There's no archaeology, it's all drinking. <laughs> sums it up, it's about right. <laughs> but yeah, listen, tell us a bit more about Boudicca. Who is she? Why, is she? why does she deserve to be on this list of five women? So her story's kind of taken on a life of its own and she's become a symbol of Britain itself. And her story's kind of become so big that you have to sort of myth from fiction uh, fact from fiction even so that kind of made it more interesting the elizabethans and victorians saw this tale of a mighty warrior queen who fought for the freedom of her country and her people mm. and that's how she found her way into folk folklore um but we don't really know that much about her and what we do know is written by roman historians 
so like her date of birth isn't really known for certain and historians have estimated based on her having two adult daughters at the time of the rebellion that she was born around 30 CE and as well as being a tribal queen to the Iceni, she was also said to have been a druid priestess which was important to the Celts at the time. Um, when she was about 19, Celtic places of worship in what's now Colchester were destroyed to make way for a temple that was dedicated to Emperor Claudius. And it wasn't just that they were destroying these Celtic places of worship, but the temple itself also served as a constant reminder of Roman occupation in the country with um, Celts being forced as slave labour to build the temple. And this was kind of the first thing that she went out and destroyed when she started her rebellion. And I think what we both found quite interesting was, although she's known to have gone out and destroyed Roman temples, Roman cities, she wasn't necessarily always anti-Roman. Uh, the Celts themselves believed in making peace where possible. And there's archaeological evidence that the Iceni tribe even copied Roman style of coinage. And there would have been other benefits of being part of the Roman, you know, as a Roman satellite state, including the ability to trade with Rome. Mm. So, you know, the cause of the rebellion has a lot of speculation behind it. So what are some of these some of these myths that, that we're gonna bust here about her? I mean, was she really this warrior queen that we all that we all know to love? We don't a hundred percent know. We don't know whether or not she married into the Iceni for a start. We don't know if she was born into them or married into them. We know that she was the wife of the king of the Iceni. Um Roman historians have painted to be have painted her to be this kind of wild warrior woman that were you know had bright red hair and riding around on a chariot and that's kind of the story that's gathered pace and that you know when the Elizabethans found her and the Victorians found her really wanted to push that as a story obviously the Elizabethans their queen was this pale red-headed queen so they saw similarities and you know you want to prove that your monarchs are as good as these figures of myth and legend and um queen victoria's husband albert even had a statue that's um just across the bridge from the houses of parliament uh, he had that commissioned and if you look at it, it's actually got the face of Victoria, but it's made to look like uh, Boudicca and her two children. I didn't actually know that. That's really interesting. I, I didn't know it was there. It's just kind of, I think, I think some people know that it's there and other people don't. Originally, he didn't want it there, but he died before it was finished. So I don't think he had much choice in where it got put in the end. <laughs> Just from the yeah. I absolutely love it when Prince Albert gets owned. What really grips you about her story? It's interesting that her, what happened to her after the rebellion, so obviously the, the Celts lost, 
and according to Roman historians, they were slaughtered. But she disappears, and they don't know what happened to her. But what was interesting is that they said that she went into the woods and killed herself, much like Cleopatra. So it's yeah. either that, that happened, or they wanted to draw um, a similarity between the two, that, you know, this thorn in the side of Rome also refused to be captured and um, killed herself. And we haven't found any remains of her yet. And we might never find her burial site. That's really interesting that they compare, you can compare her to Cleopatra and what happened. Yeah. I think the Romans probably like to draw that comparison that of, oh, were they causing so much trouble? But look what happened in the end. You know, Rome still wins. Rome is victorious. Rome is amazing. Everybody, you know, bow down to the Roman conquerors. Yeah, okay. Sounds about right. <laughs> so hit us up with the next one, who is not as well known. I'm just going to pronounce it as Ethelflaed. <laughs> so Ethelflaed was known as the Lady of the Mercians. And there are some similarities to, to Boudicca, as in she was a bit of a warrior, um, other than she was fighting, fighting the Vikings, not the, not the Romans. But unlike Boudicca, she actually died without being defeated. So I feel like she gets an extra point for that. Sorry. <laughs> I think I'm going to start a score system here. Right. Okay. Boudicca one, Apple Thread. Sorry, Apple Thread one, Boudicca one is zero. <laughs> so Apple Thread was the eldest daughter of Alfred the Great. So we, we don't know exactly when she was born, but most historians kind of put it between 686 and 870. Um, as with most women back then, we don't know much about her childhood. Um, but then when she was either 15 or 16, she married Ethelred, who was a Mercian lord. And he was about 10 years older than her. But despite that, pretty much from as soon as they were married, they were ruling together. Oh, wow. Um, and then by around 900, he was in, he was, he was, some say he was in ill health and some say he'd been injured in battle. But she began to take on more and more leadership responsibility. And, um, one example of this was in 1907 when she defended Mercia against the Vikings. And one of the techniques she used was to throw beehives at the invading Vikings, which is just my favourite fact ever. <laughs> just. <laughs> it makes you think of bees in armour. Yeah. <laughs> she, she sounds like someone who'd be right good at a party. I, well, yeah, I don't know if I want her in my beehives. <laughs> That Sorry. sounded like a really bad euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Oh, it's, it's we love a bit of smut. It's fine. Don't worry. Keep <laughs> going. Keep going. So her forces were victorious, and it earned her the respect of the the Mercians. So when Ethelred died in nine eleven, she was named Lady of the Mercians. Um, and so by this point, her brother. Edward the Elder was king and he accepted her rule providing she accepted that Mercia was a subject of Wessex and ceded London and Oxford to him. Both of these things she did quite happily and they kind of became like power siblings and instead of being on the defensive began to go on the offensive against the Vikings. They did this by 
building up the network of fortified burrs that their father had begun, um, with Ethelfled focusing on the north and the west, and Alfred on East Anglia, Essex, and the West Midlands. And they were so successful that by towards the end of her life, Leicester submitted to her without any bloodshed, and York agreed to do the same. And what's interesting is they submitted to her, not to her brother. Um, sadly, before York could submit to her, she, she died. She died oh. in, um, yeah, she died on the 12th of June, 918. And um, what's really interesting about her is she's the first monarch to pass her title to her daughter. Her daughter, Elflin, briefly became the Lady of the Mercians until her uncle took that title away. But the next time in British history that we have a female to female succession would be Elizabeth, when Elizabeth I succeeded her sister Mary in 1558. Wow, that's like nearly, what, 500, less, just under 500 years later? Yeah. My maths is non-existent, by the way, so if anybody wants to give me the correct number, <laughs> please do so. So around 500 years, we'll stick with the 500 year mark. But that's incredible. She sounds like a really awesome, incredible, like incredibly powerful. Oh, yeah, I feel like her and Boudicca would have gotten quite well. Yeah, we like female empowerment on this podcast. We love to listen how awesome some of these women are because we've had some seriously incredible women um, spoken about on these podcasts. Like um, we had Empress Matilda and all of these like seriously war, war mongry, not war mongry, but women who go to war, who fight and do all of this amazing, amazing stuff. So um, yeah, I think she's taken quite high on the list. I don't know why she was not on... Um, our greatest Britain thing, unless Alex is going to correct me and say she was, and I'll be like, yes. Okay. <laughs> she got a few votes, actually, which is more than, like, Katie Hopkins got. So not all female empowerment is good. Some women just need to sit down and shut up. But moving on, why don't people know about Ethelfled? She wasn't claimed, I guess, by the, as Emily was saying, like Elizabeth I and, and Victoria claimed Boudicca almost, whereas mm. she kind of went under the radar. When you think about the people who like unified Great Britain, she definitely deserves a mention. Okay, so I have no idea who this next person is. So I want you ladies to uh, surprise me a little bit. She sounds quite interesting. So it's Winfred Maxwell. Who is she? I mean, Winfred Maxwell should have just been a footnote in history, but then she went and did something kind of cool. She actually broke her husband out of the Tower of London where he was awaiting execution for treason. Oh, wow. Yeah, like Mission Impossible style. Literally Mission Impossible style. We need the song like to go with dress it. Up. <laughs> we need to go with that song. Do, 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 do. Anyway, no, I'm not going to sing because nobody wants to listen to that. Go for it. Tell us, how did she do that? Well, so Winfred Maxwell was born around 1680 and her parents had joined... Uh, King James the seventh slash second in exile. Um, and then in 1699, she married William Maxwell, the fifth Earl of Nithsdale. Sorry to anyone who lives there and I've just pronounced that wrong. So they moved back to Scotland and their life's kind of boring. They have a couple of children and do whatever mediumly wealthy people were doing. <laughs> then in December 17, uh, yeah, December 17, 15, uh, William joined a Jacobite rebellion and he was arrested for treason, tried and sentenced to death and imprisoned in the Tower of London. 
So when Winifred hears this, she gets together with her trusted maid and the two of them on horseback travel from Scotland to London. And it takes them over a month in, you know, December and January. So by the time they reach London, Winifred was so ill, it took her a month to recover. But recover she does. And in February, she petitions the king to spare her husband. Uh, king George I says no. So she comes up with this plan to break him out of the Tower of London. Mm. So the first thing she does is recruit a crew, because obviously. So she has her trusted maid, Cecilia, her landlady, uh, Mrs. Mills, and uh, a lod another lodger from where they're staying on Drury Lane called Miss Hilton. She then puts step two into action. She'd previously been uh, forbidden from seeing her husband where he was being held in the tower. But she befriended his guards through like, they, they say charm and bribes, which I'd like someone to say that about me. Um, <laughs> <and> she, <laughs> she does this so well that eventually she's allowed to just come and go into his cell at any time of the day or night, which is essential. So the next bit's the most risky. The day before the escape, she tells the guards that the petition for mercy has been granted and she gives them some money so they can drink to the king, hoping that this will entertain them and maybe make them a little bit hungover for the next day. So the next day she arrives at the tower with her team and they go in to visit William and they've all hidden women's clothes on them. So they get into his cell and uh, Winifred sends the two ladies away telling them to send her maid back. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Um, while she's alone with her husband, she trims his beard, paints his face white, um, dresses him in the lady's clothes she's smuggled in and puts false ringlets in his hair. She then wraps him in a riding cloak and just walks out with him, keeping up a steady stream of chatter. She goes to, you know, distract the guards, I suppose. So she gets outside, pops William in a coach along with her two accomplices and they race him back to Drury Lane where they hide him in the attic. But Winifred goes back into the Tower of London and has a conversation in his cell pretending to do both parts. Then as she leaves, she closes the door, tells the guards that her husband's at prayer and not to be disturbed, and she goes back to Drury Lane. A few months later, um, William is 
sent to France and Winifred has to go back to Scotland on horseback and by now she's pregnant. So while pregnant, she makes the journey from London to Scotland on horseback, sells off as much as she can and collects some family papers, then goes to join her husband in France. On the way to France, she suffers a, a miscarriage and almost dies. Um, so you think by the time they were reunited, he'd be quite happy to see her, but he's not particularly grateful for anything she's done. And he just kind of hands her a pile of debts. Um, eventually, the only way they survive financially is uh, she gets a job as the nanny to Bonnie Prince Charlie and his siblings. So William died in 1744 and Winifred remained in exile until her death in 1749. What? Hold on. He was not grateful that she put oh, no, her life on the line to save his rebellious ass. Okay, and then he just hands her a load of debt. Yeah, pretty much. He's a keeper. He's a total keeper. <laughs> Might have been tempted to leave him in the tower myself. Yeah. <laughs> but do you, do we know what? Um, do you know how the uh, how King George reacted when he found out? That he'd escaped. I don't know actually. I kind of was a bit wrapped up in her story to kind of check that, but I can't imagine he was best pleased. I'd like to see if they hunted God. him down. You know, you could imagine they're all searching the streets, you know, house to house looking for this guy when he's hidden in the attic. And sorry, dressed as a woman. Yeah, dressed as a woman, ungrateful so and so, because I could have used the worst word in there. <laughs> Insert horrible word. Um, yeah, I got. I'm really annoyed. Yeah, that was our reaction too. Yeah. I thought it was interesting as well that she ends up becoming a nanny to Bonnie Prince Charlie. After she's had to deal with all the rebellion stuff, she then ends up being the nanny to a man that would go on to try and create another rebellion. I mean, wow. you'd think after breaking somebody out of the Tower of London, mischievous toddlers would be no trouble. <laughs> Especially if your hu husband is a toddler. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but that's that was actually, I think, so far. Don't get me wrong. Love Boudicca. Uh, loved the lady I can't pronounce before. Ethel Thread. They're both awesome. But Winfred, I think she gets my vote so far for being so patient with such a giant toddler of a husband. Definitely. Yeah. She's definitely out of, she's definitely one of my favourite women that we've covered so far. Yeah. So let's go with your fourth choice, Amelia Boynton Robinson. This woman was epic. Tell us all about her. So she was a civil rights pioneer and she championed the voting rights of America's black citizens. And she was the first black woman to run for Congress in Alabama. Oh, wow. Um, so as a young woman, she was really active in women's suffrage and in 1934 at the age of 23 she became one of the few registered african-american voters and you know she took voting rights seriously and continued to do a lot of work with that you know in 1930 she met her husband samuel boynton and they married in 1936 and they both spent 30 years working to achieve, you know, voting property and education rights for African-Americans in Alabama. And in 1964, she 
ran for Congress. Did she win? Yes, she did. She only got 10% of the vote, but 5% of that vote was from African-Americans. Wow. So it was clear that she was really, you know, making steps. It's, soon after she became a member of Congress, she contacted Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, to try and team up for their common cause. And she asked him and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to come to Selma to help promote their cause together. He agreed and they both began to set up headquarters at her home. And that's where they would then plan the march that would become known as Bloody Sunday. Wow, so she was actually involved in Bloody Sunday? Yeah, she was brutally beaten. She was on the front line. So for anyone that doesn't know about that, it was March the 7th and they set out from Selma going to Montgomery. Um, There's about 600 voting rights advocates that set out and they marched undisturbed through Selma. But as they began to cross the Edmund Paytas Bridge, they saw on the other side were um, deputies and the county sheriff, as well as um, white spectators waving Confederate flags. They stopped and tried to peacefully, you know, reason with the officers to let them through and continue with their march. But after just a few moments, the troopers wearing gas masks and with clubs basically advanced on the protesters and tear gas was released, protests were clubbed. Um, deputies that were on horseback charged into the crowd, chasing men, women and children. But the protesters didn't fight back. And there's actually photos of Amelia on the floor, you know, almost being beaten to death and she had to go to hospital for it. And the protest, was, what happened at the protest was so bad it made the nine o'clock news and that's when it was dubbed Bloody Sunday. And with outrage kind of sweeping the country, sympathisers ended up staging sit-ins, blockades, more demonstrations and solidarity. And two days later, Martin Luther King tried to do another march, but again, they got they were blocked and they had to turn around. But what started us as 600 people ended up at being over 3,000. And on the 21st, they were finally permitted to complete the march. So they set off from Selma under the protection of the federalised National Guard troops. And they arrived in Montgomery four days later. They were walking about 12 miles a day um, to get there. And they arrived to a crowd of about 25,000 people. And Amelia had been finally released from hospital. And when they arrived, while Martin Luther King was speaking, she was sat on the stage with him. Oh, wow. So we found that really interesting. And in 1990, she won the Martin Luther King Jr. Medal of Freedom. And then 1992, she co-founded the International Civil Rights Solidarity Movement. And she passed away in August of 2015 at the age of 104. Oh, and wow. just, a few, just a few months before, she had done a walk with President Obama. There'd been a big celebration because it was the 50th anniversary. So just wow. a few months before she got to um, be involved in that. 
104. Oh my God. And she made so many changes or, and, and protested for so She sounds, yeah, loving her. She's at the top of my list right now. Sorry, other ladies. Emilia, <laughs> you're topping my list for the moment. <laughs> Gemma, have you got anything to add? I was just, I think she's amazing, really. All of the civil rights uh, people were. And it's just a shame we're still having to protest the same stuff. Mm. We often talk on our podcast about um, if we could put the people, the women we've written about in a in the TARDIS and bring them forward and show them that the world's changed. But I think I'd probably skip hers. You know, maybe go a bit further forward until we actually uh, make a bit of progress. No, More that's progress. Understandable. understandable. Um, okay, let's move on to our last lady on the list, uh, and that's May Jameson. So, who was she? So. Mae Jameson was the first African-American woman in space. So, really? Yeah. Wow. So, I've, I've never heard of her. I need to tell us more. So she was born in October of 1956 in Alabama. And at high, in high school, she decided that she wanted to pursue a career in biomedical engineering but she'd always had an interest in astronomy and was inspired by Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Gemma (laughs) (laughs) on Star Trek. And in 1977, she graduated with a bachelor's of science degree in chemical engineering from Stanford university, then went on to Cornell university medical college where she graduated in 1981. And she was off uh, joining the Peace Corps, serving the next two and a half years um, in Sierra Leone and Liberia. And in 1985, she came back to the States and she saw Sally Ride become the first American woman in space. And she decided that she was going to change her career path and she was going to start applying to be an astronaut. And she did. She applied in October of 1985, but in 1986, it was a Challenger space shuttle disaster. And NASA stopped their recruitment for a while, but that wasn't going to stop her. So in 1987, she applied again. And out of more than 2,000 applicants, she was made one of the 15 selected. So on June the 4th, 1987, she became the first African-American woman to be admitted into the NASA astronaut training program and then the first African-American female astronaut. Did she ever go up into space? That was going to be my next question, which you'll yeah. not answer. Yeah. <laughs> so her first mission, they received their first mission on, on September the 28th, 1989, and she joined the crew of STS-47 as a mission specialist. And her team made 127 orbits around the Earth, logging 190 hours, 30 minutes, and 23 seconds in space. That's incredible in itself. Wow. Yeah. She kind of gets more incredible after she leaves NASA. Go on, tell us. So she leaves in 1993 after serving for six years. And she starts up the Jameson Group, which was or is a consulting company that encourages science, technology and social change. She accepts a teaching position at Dartmouth College, teaching environmental studies and also directs the Jameson Institute for Advancing Technology in Developing Countries. The year after, 
She creates an international space camp for students between the ages of 12 and 16 called The Earth We Share. And then she also forms a non-profit organisation called the Dorothy Jameson Foundation for Excellence. And she doesn't just stop there. In 1999, she accepted a position as the Andrew D. White Professor at Large at Cornell. And she's also written several books, including one that is a children's book about her life called Find Where the Wind Goes. Oh, and then when um, actor LeVar Burton found out that she really liked Star Trek, they asked her to appear, to appear on the show and she became the first astronaut to be in an episode of Star Trek playing Lieutenant Palmer in The Next Generation on an episode called Second Chances. And today she is currently leading the 100-year Starship programme project oh my god she sounds well first of all she got to be on star trek how cool is that that's just cool. awesome that was just awesome and she was in space and just to list everything else she, yeah okay yeah maybe she's at the top of the list yeah she's won so many awards i mean most of my post on her is just the list of things that she's won it's just insane like nothing was going to stop her doing anything She's um she's still alive, isn't she? Yeah, she is still going strong. Wow! So she's the only person on our list that's still still there. Yeah. Do you know what? I love, love to meet her one day. Definitely. It was really strange. Do you think she'd have time. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just run alongside her, holding a coffee. Be like, please be my friend. Do you know what? I think if the four of us could do it, we could somehow might be able to do something and get her involved. Just be like, hi, can I corner her? Four corners, perfect. Hi, we want you on a podcast. Great. I might get a little starstruck. Sorry. But if you pass out, she's a doctor, so... It's a win-win. <laughs> I get more than you, I get a hug. Mate, is that a hug? We're passing out? I don't know, my first aid's not great. CPR, hug, thumping your chest to try and get your heart going again, it's fine lines. <laughs> so ladies, before we finish, you need to plug your podcast. So go for it, plug away. Okay, so we, we actually have two podcasts and they're quite different from each other. We have our, what well, we, we've kind of named it the Tangent Podcast. We've, we're both giant nerds, so that tends to be focused on things like mythology and comic books and our favourite archaeologists and Star Wars. There's a lot of Star Wars in that one. Yeah. Um, and then we have our After Dark Podcast, which is new. We've only published one so far. But that's a feature-length podcast, and that looks at like the darker side of women's history. So our first one, we looked at the Whitechapel murders and spent an hour deep diving into the lives of the victims, which was harrowing, and then an hour looking at the suspects and the police investigation. And we have one coming up, which is on curses and saints relics. Yeah, and then we have a blog that posts. We post weekly, so each week we have a different woman to look at. And each month we change our theme. So the women that we've talked about today have come from different months, so different themes. So Next month is pirates. Yes, it is. Oh, that's incredible. Ladies, how do people get to your blog? Where do they find it? Where do they find your podcast? So you can find all the information on our website, which is just sogsofshe.co.uk. You'll find a link there to social media because all of our social media handles are different which is really annoying and you can find a link to our podcast there and obviously all of our blog posts are available on there as well i love it ladies gentlemen go and have a listen 
it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both today thank you so much for joining us thank Thank you for having us Join us tomorrow when Hannah Pringle will be talking all about witchcraft. It's a subject dear to Alina and my heart because undoubtedly we would have been dunked or burnt as witches if we were around several hundred years ago. So join us for that one. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.